International President of the United Steel Workers, Mr. Leo Girard, is in the house. Vice President of the AFL-CIO, I might add as well. More than a pleasure to have him with us. And if you don't do this, you should every Monday read his blog on Huffington Post. Today it's entitled The GOP's Big Squeeze. Uh, Leo, how you doing? Happy Monday and good to have you back. Thank you. I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's talk about your blog, always uh, awesome. First of all, I just want to say, does it amaze you that the name Governor Scott Walker stands on a stage hoping to run for president on a national level in a nation that still doesn't feel 100% recovery, that still feels unemployment is too high. Some people have given up looking for jobs. Some people want to have full-time instead of part-time. And this is a guy who signed legislation last week to lower the wages of the majority of Wisconsin, the working class, the middle class. He wants to cut the pay for those who work so hard in his state. What the heck would he do to us on a national level? Well, look, at he he's a phony. And uh, what he's trying to do is court the extreme right wing, and that's been his plan all along. And, and the reality is, if you look at the statistics, uh, he's turned Wisconsin from a, uh, a fairly positive, uh, economically positive and progressive state into a basket case. They had uh, amongst the lowest job creation, they had a falling standard of living, they had the least uh, investment brought into the state, of almost any other state, and yet he pretends that all is well. He's created a huge deficit, and now what he's doing to feed his rich friends so he can give them additional tax breaks, he's cutting his, I'm, I'm shocked by the amount, hundreds of millions of dollars out of the University of Wisconsin budget. The University of Wisconsin was one of the premier economic institutions that uh, the uh, the university had one of the best economics programs in the country at one time. Now he's chopping that. And we're we're seeing this, you know, in Wisconsin. You know, you you talked about earlier slashes like paychecks of teachers and government workers by eight to ten percent. You know, Leo, when he slashed the paychecks of teachers, do you know how many people said, "I'm going to go to school elsewhere"? He's not just hurting the educational system. He's not just hurting the students of Wisconsin. He's not just hurting the teachers, but he's hurting the entire economy of Wisconsin, and that hurts people even if they don't have a kid in college or aren't a teacher. Wisconsin was, uh, I know this from uh, many of my sort of economic friends who uh, had deliberately wanted to go to school in Wisconsin uh, because they wanted to do something good about the economy, and they knew that, uh, in particular, Wisconsin had a great economics program. Uh, so it's not just at the university now that they're they're cutting school budgets, and you know, people like he don't give a dang. That uh, you know, imagine if you're a teacher and they've cut back teacher salary, cut back teachers' um, opportunity, and so you're a teacher who last year might have had 26 kids in her class or his class. And this year you might have 32 or 33 or 34. Uh, that means those kids that need special attention. That means those kids that uh, um, need to get the teacher to, to, to help them a bit more. They're all going to be disadvantaged, and it's going to be a lot more difficult. But these guys don't look at the overall ramifications of the decisions they make. 
In fact, they don't really give a damn about the decisions they make because they're intent on rewarding their rich buddies who fund their campaigns. And as uh, one of my friends said, um, the facts and the truth in the Republican Party at the very best distant cousins. You know, 29 states have agreed to raise and voted uh, to raise minimum wage to a higher wage, a decent working wage to people who are lower paid on the pay scale, on the spectrum. Wisconsin and the Republicans there refused to do that, right? And, and yeah. this governor, like, high-fives and applauds them for that. Yeah. The, the, the reality about the, the, the minimum wage is if you can do it in two, two ways. If the minimum wage had kept pace with inflation, uh, it would be closer to 20 bucks. If the minimum wage had kept uh, pace with productivity, it would be closer to $25. So it's, it's not that America couldn't sustain a higher minimum wage, because when the minimum wage was, in fact, actually a living wage, uh, it helped to, to generate more revenue into the economy. It generated a multiplier effect. People on the minimum wage don't put their money in the bank. They go out and buy goods and services. They try to feed their kids, put some clothes on their back. And, uh, you know, the unfortunate thing is now you can you need to have two or three minimum wage jobs in order to make it. And uh, that was never the case at one time. What about people who claim, like uh, Chris on Twitter, who says, this was signed a week ago, it doesn't affect wages at all. That That's a lie, right? I mean, it lowered the wages of Wisconsin's middle class, and we're looking at, let's give specific numbers, about $1,500 a year. The, the, the hard reality is that every state that has brought in right to work, that uh, has attacked workers' rights to collective bargaining, has a declining standard of living, and it actually has taken money indirectly out of workers' pockets. And what I mean by that, it maybe didn't instantly push their wages back, but what it did instantly was make it harder for them to move their wages forward. And so over the period of time, it will equate to almost $1,500 per person. But in addition to that, you've got uh, harder for people to attend higher education. In addition to that, most people on the minimum wage didn't have health care until we got the Affordable Care Act. There's all kinds, and, and many of these states that have refused to raise the minimum wage have also refused to put in exchanges and allow the expansion of Medicaid. So it has a, a multiplier effect and a downward pressure on the economy. And, and what they've done is, you know, the hypocrisy of this, while they're attacking working people, doing right to work, uh, not putting in a health care exchange, they're cutting the taxes of the already rich and the already powerful. And they're not going to go buy an extra car. They're not going to go uh, buy an extra washing machine. What they're going to do is invest their money in some offshore resort country like uh, Romney did in the Canary Islands. Also, when we look at Wisconsin, when we look at this governor, a Republican, and his GOP gang in the state of Wisconsin, they butchered state funding for public schools. They've proposed the same fate for the state's public universities. That Now, that put higher education at a, a reachable, you know, a, a, an attainable and reachable goal for middle-class families because they could afford to send their kids to public universities. Uh, that won't be the case with what has been proposed. 
And this is a concern not only in Wisconsin if you got this guy running on a national level because you got to if you look today Leo the high school dropout rate has dropped or the high school graduation rate has increased but it's still lower for minorities especially native americans hispanics and african americans but that's under this president's uh, idea and push on a national level and 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 pushing and, and trying to you know, send home this message to the states that we've got to compete with China and India. We've got to raise the bar. This high dropout rate is unacceptable. The list goes on. And this is a president who says, I want free community college for all. Look what we have on the other spectrum in Wisconsin and a guy who wants to run in, two, you know, in 2016. And if uh, CPAC or some of these polls are any indication, God forbid he get that nomination. Well, look, I, uh, I think once he gets out into the public and gets out Beyond the extremists in uh, in CPAC and others, I think uh, his his ideas will be rejected. There's nothing new in what he's saying. We've been trying to not we I shouldn't say that they have been trying to run this agenda now for 30 years, and we see what it's done to America. We've we've got the highest uh, student debt in the world. The, the student debt is higher than family credit card debt. We've got a deteriorating and dilapidated infrastructure that needs to be invested in. We've got more kids who aren't getting uh, jobs. We've got trade deficits that are in the tens of trillions of dollars, accumulated trade deficits. We've got a deindustrialization of the country. We've got workers that have had either no increase or minimal increase in relative terms over the last 30 years. We've got housing prices where people can't afford the homes that they have. and they're going to try to bring us more of the same stuff. Uh, you know, I think that that's going to be rejected, and I think the American people are wising up. The thing that we've got to do, though, is get them to the polls. There's a reason the Republicans are trying voter suppression everywhere. They know that if people turn out to vote, they lose. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with President Leo Gerard, President of the United Steelworkers, Vice President of the AFL-CIO. We are back. So is he. I'm Leslie Marshall. He is President Leo Gerard, International President of the United Steelworkers. Wrote a great piece for the Huffington Post talking about the uh, GOP, and we'll talk more about that, take some calls, and some other things we need to talk about uh, in addition uh, to this great piece. Uh, when Because there's so much going on. Uh, but you got to check it out at Huffington Post. It's entitled The GOP's Big Squeeze. Leo, let's uh, take some calls, and then we'll move on to some other issues. Sure. Uh, let's go to Michael in the Bronx on 5. Michael, good afternoon. Question or comment for President Gerard. Hi, Leslie, and hello, Leo. Good to talk with you again. Hello. You know, if if I was a resident in Wisconsin right now, I would probably be going ape like a Stone Cold Steve Austin or something. How here, Scott Walker, as if it's not enough of a problem for the middle class to try to make ends meet, trying to have a roof over their heads, having food on the table, clothes on their back. This SOB got the call to sign some kind of legislation, which in my view is a federal civil rights violation, and going to take $1,500 per year away from each middle class worker as if they have to be homeless. What the beef is up with this guy? And if he was to be um, present, you know, I would make sure I would go all over these airways, folks, to show how much of a dirtbag he and many of these other Republicans are. Let's be clear. 
that their idea of less government is really less accountability because they want to keep prying into the people's households, people's privacy, and people's way of living. We all have a right to make a living. We all have a right to live, but not the top 1%. I've had it up to here with their bogus BS. Leo? Yeah, well, look, at I, I, I agree totally. The, um, the challenge here is that um, we've got, we got to reflect back a little bit. Uh, during the uh, first attack he had on workers not long after he got to uh, be governor, when he attacked public sector workers and, uh, and others, but primarily public sector workers, teachers, snowplow drivers, uh, people that do the vehicle registration, all that crowd. Someone did a, uh, a prank on him and called him, pretended they were one of the, the Koch brothers. And you could hear him salivating. He was so excited that he thought this was really a Koch brother. And, and the reason I raise that is that that's what's behind this, is that kind of right-wing extremist money and people like uh, Walker, who probably believes what he's doing, but uh, he's got to do it even more aggressively because he's got to be able to access that money. And, and if you saw recently, I guess in the, I lose track of time sometimes, the last couple of months, the uh, rich had their retreat at some fancy resort and came out of there and said that they had raised, committed to over $800 million for this upcoming election cycle. And that $800 plus million dollars is going to be targeted at the state level. It's going to be targeted at the congressional level. And I'm sure they'll raise even more money than that at the presidential level. So uh, people like us, the only, the only response that we have is we can't play in that money game. I can tell you that I can't, and I know that our union can't. But what we have that they don't have is literally tens of thousands of workers who are prepared to stand up and fight back. And that's what we need to do. We take, need to take our message to, to the folks and be able to let them have the opportunity to know what's going on, then to encourage them to not only come out and vote, but talk to their friends and neighbors and spread the truth and, and win that way. And uh, this guy is going to, in many ways, not only him, but this ideology is doing tremendous damage to this country. And it, you know, as I said to someone, America and American people deserve better than this. This is sort of gutter politics. When, when we put out there on Twitter land that Scott Walker wants to cut middle class wages, the University of Wisconsin's budget, the millions of dollars that he just wants to cut, and that you've got to look at that if you're going to consider this guy if he's going to run and give it a real run for president, which it appears he is. B. Willie says, why are you guys misrepresenting the facts? You, you know, you're misrepresenting the facts here. You know it. Why? Why is it? When, when the facts are so uncomfortable to swallow, those of us on the left, if you will, must be making this up. Yeah. Well, look, at I, 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 when you were saying that, Leslie, I was reflecting back to the uh, uh, Mitt Romney campaign, where Mitt Romney's campaign manager, if you remember, when they made a false accusation about President Obama and uh, so-called welfare benefits. Uh, he said, that may be, but we're not going to let the facts get in the way of our message. Um, so the, the, they, their, their quest for power so they can reward their rich friends is so great that they're not prepared to accept the facts, whether it's about uh, 
trade, whether it's about minimum wage, whether it's about deindustrialization, whether it's about uh, the, the rebuilding of the infrastructure. Hold that Look thought, I, Leo. I, Hold I, that I, thought. I forget we're doing a radio show when I'm talking to you. I want to crack open a beer and put my feet up. You know, it's comfy. So we'll be right back to you, President Leo Gerard, International President of the United Steelworkers. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only True Democracy in Talk Radio. Realtor.com and Realtors, together, we make home happen. More than a pleasure to have back with us on the program the President of the United Steelworkers, Vice President of the AFL-CIO, Leo Leo Gerard, Mr. Leo Gerard. Leo, I want to talk about the compensation penalty of right-to-work laws further. And recent proposals to advance so-called right-to-work laws are being suggested in states. And and what do they say, Leo? Don't they say they're a way to boost economic growth? But in this economic climate, although some people may think or even paint it very positively, it's very misleading because these laws, you know, first of all, don't guarantee a job for anyone and definitely uh, don't help and boost economic growth in those states. Well, let me just say that the facts speak for themselves on that issue. Uh, the rash of uh, right-wing attempts to spread right-to-work is, uh, is the first time since really the late 50s, early 60s, when there was a rash of attempts to do that. But if you look at the facts over time of states that have had so-called right-to-work, they're right-to-work for less, and they're misleading. They're not a right to a job. They're not a right to, to an income. They're a right to work for less. And the reason we can say that is the facts speak for themselves on, on the, the long term. Every state that has had right to work has had a lower standard of living. In fact, some of the stats that I've seen are almost uh, overwhelming, that uh, shorter life expectancy, lower high school graduation rates, and, and a whole number of issues like that. And the reason that that's the case is as you depress people's standard of living, Life just becomes that much harder. And, and people don't, companies don't go into an area because wages are down. Companies go into an area because there's a good education program, there's a good transportation program, there's a number of, of other things that will attract them. And, and the fact that right to work works in the opposite direction. It lowers the standard of living, it lowers the tax base, it does all of those things so that there's lower graduation rates and the things I talked about. So the facts just are, you know, as someone said, bullpucky. <laughs> Malarkey, right? Uh, Tom yeah. tweets, uh, in the U.S., if you don't like what an employer offers you, you are free to go elsewhere. That's easier said than done, isn't it, Leo, if somebody's cutting well, for, jobs or all, cutting that's, wages? That's, that's, a, that's an uninformed comment. Uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, you're, you're not free to go elsewhere because there's a shortage of jobs in the country. There's been a deindustrialization of the country, and, and that's just not the facts. The, the thing that's bad about right to work, think about this as um, I, I, I live in Pennsylvania, so we had four years of Tom Corbett uh, as governor. I never voted for Tom Corbett. Uh, so think about that as in right to work. I'm in the union. An overwhelming majority of the workers chose that they want to be represented by a union. And I, ex- ex- I sort of express my right now under right to work 
to not pay union dues, period. Now, if I'm in Pennsylvania, I didn't vote for Tom Corbett, but I still got to pay my taxes. Well, now in, in right-to-work states, the individual claims that they're not going to pay union dues. Well, the union still has to represent them. If the union negotiates a contract with wage increases and benefit increases, this individual still gets it. So it's not a right to work. It's a right to freeload. It's a right to let your colleagues, your peers in the workplace, carry you on their back because you're not paying your fair share. You're not contributing. We're not, we're not saying people have to mandatorily attend their union meetings, although that would be good. But we do say that when we're in the union together, we all benefit together by all sticking together. So these folks that opt out on so-called right-to-work for less legislation, they weaken the ability of the union to negotiate a better increase that would have, in fact, gone to them as well. So it's, it's stupid and it's asinine. A lot of comments on Twitter. Neil tweets, if current working conditions are good, then the union measures that were devised pre-1935 could probably be scaled back. What do you say, Leah? Say that again. I didn't quite catch you. If current working conditions are good, then the union yeah. measures that were devised pre-1935 could probably be scaled back. Well, there were no union measures negotiated pre-1935 of any substance. Um, workers started to expand unionization after the Second World War, when after FDR uh, brought forward a whole bunch of rights, uh, we had, in fact, the, the, the fastest-growing economy, the uh, fastest-growing wages, the ra- quickest rise in productivity in the period from 1945, roughly, to 1975. Uh, and so that uh, there's not places where working conditions are terrific. And, in fact, if you ever want to think about that, all you got to do is go to the Maquila Zone in, in Mexico, just two, three, four, five, six, eight, ten miles south of the border between the U.S. and Mexico, where Mexican minimum wage doesn't apply. And you'll go there and you'll find people working for Ford, for General Electric, for brand-name companies who are making 2 and 3 and $4 an hour. If you're making $4 an hour, you're at the top of the heap. We have an alliance with the Mexican Mining and Metalworkers Union, and a high-paid worker in a Mexican steel mill is working about $12 an hour, which is less than a third of uh, what you would get in a, in a U.S. mill with wages and benefits. Yet they sell their steel at the same price. If you go to a copper mine, the same thing. The workers are making 7 or $8 an hour, whereas in a, in a mine just 200 miles north, they're making $200 an hour at $20 an hour. Uh, there is Kathy who says, um, you know, Leo, Leslie, I'm torn. I'm a libertarian. So one side of me says nobody should be forced to join a union, but the other side of me says, but they should be okay to get union benefits. Uh, why do people have this idea there's a gun to people's heads about this, Leo? Look at it. it it's, it's a constant myth that's promoted by the right wing. It's a constant myth promoted by the right wing uh ideology that's out there that I forget what the hell they call themselves the anti uh, anti union right to work crowd in fact I think it's called the right to work committee uh, no one's forced to join a union the process for joining a union let me p- put the question another way shortly the process for joining a union is you go and talk to people they sign a petition or a membership card and then once you've got an overwhelming majority and I say overwhelming because you want more than 50 plus one you got a majority, you apply, and then there's a vote. And uh, 
through that period of time, workers have exercised their right to, 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 to vote. But also through that period of time, the employer gets a right to try and convince them not to. The employer gets a right to call them in one at a time and tell them, if you join the union, I'll close the plant. They do all kinds of stuff to intimidate workers. So workers aren't forced to join the union. In fact, in many cases, now it's an act of courage because of the employer's continuous threats, and, uh, and you do that. Now, what, let's go back to what I said. If you join the union... We're all in it together. We rise and fall together by our collective actions. And, and I, what I find disturbing is that it's not a right to work. It's a right to freeload. If there's a majority of workers that want the union and, and the freeloader opts out of paying union dues, that freeloader doesn't opt out of getting the wage increases and the benefit increases and the extra vacation and the statutory holidays, all the things that we negotiate from our employer when we sit down and bargain. And unions aren't bargaining to put their employer out of business. We're bargaining to have our fair share of the productivity and the wealth we create. But this, this individual who opted out and, and has a right to freeload, he or she doesn't say, well, look at I'm not in, so if we get a wage increase, I don't get it. If we get a benefit increase, I don't get it. If we get a dental plan, I don't get it. If we get a statutory holiday off, I don't get it. If we get an eight-hour day, I don't need it. You know, these are all things that the unions fought for. You wouldn't have an overtime uh, if it wasn't for unions. You wouldn't have weekends if it wasn't for unions. And if you don't believe me, go to the Maquila Zone in Mexico and see where people are forced to work seven days a week, sometimes 10 hours and 12-hour days, and then they get a break after so many days. Uh, they would put us back there in a heartbeat if they could, and that's what the people like Scott Walker and the freeloaders do. Jim says, Leo, the market should set the standard. And, and Jim feels that, you know, uh, unions are a way to promote the progressive agenda. But, but that, that's not the case at all. I mean, because when unions first came about, the Democratic Party was very different than it is today. Well, look, I don't understand that the market should set the agenda. If... Uh, if we deindustrialize the country and we lose millions of manufacturing jobs and uh, jobs that you don't need a college education for or a university education for, we're, we're, we're dreaming in technicolor if we think every single worker is going to graduate from university. Uh, we, we need those kind of jobs that are available so that people can work with their hands. And, and the fact of that, the market doesn't exist. There is no such thing as the free market. All markets are regulated. All markets are uh, put together with an objective in mind. And, and, you know, ask the banks if they would like to have an unregulated market. Absolutely not. Ask, ask the steel company if they'd like to have an unregulated market. Absolutely not. Ask the car companies if they'd like to have an unregulated market. Absolutely not. They want regulation. They just want it to benefit them and not all of us. There's no such thing as an unregulated market. It doesn't exist anywhere in the world. I also, you know, like I said, there's so much uh, that we have to talk about. I don't want to get into too much if we're uh, taking a break here. So why don't we do that? Why don't we take our break and we come back? We're going to talk about some other issues with President Lito Gerard, President of the United Steelworkers, Vice President of the AFL-CIO. Pick up the phone and join us. One more segment with Leo, 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Follow me on Twitter at Leslie Marshall for tweets there. Follow the Steelworkers at Steelworkers and follow Leo at USW Blogger. We are back with President Leo Gerard, President of the United Steelworkers. 
Hey, Leo, thank you for holding. Uh, welcome back. Uh, let's talk about Fine. the party switch. You and I have talked since, obviously, the last uh, midterm elections, but this party switch in the state of, of West Virginia gives Republicans control of that state. And the Republicans won back control of the West Virginia House of Delegates for the first time in eight decades. What, what does this say to you about that state and about the future? Because, you know, West Virginia is a very heavy blue-collar state. A lot of union folks there. Yeah, look at what, what uh, unfortunately happened in West Virginia, in my view, is that uh, it's a very industrial coal-consuming state, and uh, we have a transition going on because of the extremely low price at one point, not very long ago, of natural gas, and you had EPA regulations that uh, the coal companies could have met, uh, but uh, they chose to attack the Democratic Party using their position and uh, really say that President Obama and the Democrats were waging a war on coal. Now, I think that there's some guilt on the EPA and the administration's part for not consulting enough with uh, the labor movement in West Virginia about that. But at the same time, the uh, right wing and the coal barons uh, use their position to, as I said, get a twofer. Their one position was to, to claim that Democrats were attacking the coal industry, and their second position was to convert from coal to natural gas and uh, gain, not make reference to that. So it's very, very disturbing, and some really great people like Nick Rahal lost. Uh, we had two of the best senators in the country, uh, with uh, Senator Byrd and Senator Rockefeller, uh, who have now gone, and we got two right wings. Well, I won't say Joe Manchin's completely right, but Joe's not as progressive as either um, Jay Rockefeller or Senator Byrd were. And uh, you see that uh, that Joe Manchin's got to move to the right to hang on in, in West Virginia. So again, I think we have to get off our butts and get out there and start telling the truth and confront the already rich and powerful. They're buying one state at a time. You know, with the amount of money that had to be spent to take over the, uh, the the Senate race and the amount of money that had to be spent to take over the House race was enormous, but they had the money to do it. And we were, again, I think a little too lackadaisical on getting out into the, the street. I, I want to talk about a strike which is the first in an industry, you know, your industry, in more than right. three decades. And, you know, the, I, I don't think you guys had much of a choice. I mean, the industry is not only arrogant, they refuse to listen to the safety concerns uh, of its employers. Uh, your Vice President Gary Beaver said, quote, this work stoppage is about um, overtime, unsafe staffing levels, dangerous conditions. The industry continues to ignore the daily occurrences of fires, emissions, leaks, and explosions that threaten local communities with, without the industry doing much about it. Leo, so, so that people understand, um, th- this is regarding these national oil refineries, right? And right. there is a work stoppage at the following refineries. Uh, in um, Lydendell, uh, which is in Houston, uh, Texas, Marathon, Galveston Bay Refinery in Texas City, another in Texas City, Marathon, Houston Green, Cogeneration Marathon Refinery in Kentucky, Shell Deer Park Refinery in Deer Park, Texas, also Shell Deer Park Chemical Plant, uh, and Tesoro has uh, three plants, one in Anacortes, Washington, right. and one in Martinez, California, and one in Carson, uh, California. 
Um, you know, to me, I know some people. Some people have said to me, "Well, when unions strike, you know, they just want more money." It's not about more money, and it's not always about more money. Sometimes it's nothing to do with money. In this case, no. you are talking about not just safety to the employees, but safety to the community around those employees and, and around these refineries. You, let, let me give you a couple of uh, quick examples. Uh, we uh, we have a fatigue standard uh, in the industry that came as, came as a result of the major explosion in Texas City at what was then the BP operation, which is now a marathon operation. And uh, that uh, explosion, when it was investigated, the uh, so-called Blue Ribbon Commission that was chaired by a Republican, by the way, Howard Baker, uh, uh, said that... Uh, Fatigue had a contributing factor in that. So we negotiated a fatigue standard only to have the company manipulate it. We've now come to understand as a result of the negotiations that the companies were working anywhere from 15 to 20 percent underemployment and making that up with uh, excessive overtime, with uh, bringing in workers that uh, were new to the facility, uh, and it's not the workers' fault, but sometimes they had not worked in that facility before. Uh, so when we raise the issues of occupational health and safety, when we raise the issues of manpower planning and training and all of that, we were, and, and we raise the issue of uh, health care, we were basically told that it was none of our business in the early days of the, the negotiations, and we were left with no alternative. Now, I'm happy to tell you that just... Uh, at the end of last week, we reached a tentative agreement with the lead companies, and we're now in the process of getting those agreements uh, ratified at the various other companies. Uh, we still have some difficulties at Marathon, at Lyondell, and a couple of Tesaros, but we hope to be able to work that out. Uh, and, and the issue that we resolved was occupation, health, and safety, and, and manpower planning and uh, hours of work, and all of those things, and people don't realize, I'll give you a statistic that is shocking. On average, there's a fire or an explosion, on average, every eight days in a refinery somewhere in America. That means of all the refineries, roughly every eight days there's a fire or an explosion someplace in one of those refineries in America. The most recent one was you probably saw in California. Yep. Um, when that explosion happened in California, um, we were lucky that no one was killed. There had been workers working in that area just a few hours before. They could have been killed. The one before that at Chevron, we had 15,000 people that sought medical attention because they said they had constrictions in their throat from the, the gases that were out. We had Tazaro in a strike uh, who refused to let uh, the kids use 14 ball fields that were adjacent to the, to the, to the plant, and they tried to use the, the, the excuse that they didn't want to have kids having to cross a picket line, as if the, as if the union was going to stop kids from playing baseball. So, I'm, 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 yeah, absolutely you know, unbelievable. And anybody wants to yeah. question how American you guys are, you know, this speaks for itself. Yeah. Uh, you know what, Leo, thank you. Thank you for you guys standing in You're the gap. Welcome. Thank you for caring about workers' safety, and I think it's unconscionable that those in the industry care about patting their pockets, but they'll do it on the backs 
of workers who they're not providing a safe and fair work environment for. Love you, Leo. Have a wonderful afternoon and evening. President Leo Gerard. Follow him on Twitter at USW Blogger. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.